0: King Charles I of England, in 1633, ordered a thousand Bibles. It was relatively a new thing to have Bibles printed back then, and he asked an English printer by the name of Robert Barker to print those Bibles and then distribute them. The day came when the Bibles were finally delivered, these 1,000 Bibles, and they were distributed as the king asked. And soon after being distributed, as people began to read the Bibles... They discovered that there was an error in one of the verses. And the error made King Charles so angry and so furious that he had the printer, Robert Barker, find and eventually put out of business. And then he asked for all thousands of the Bibles to be collected and to be burned. Now, a few uh, escaped being burned, and today they are collector's items. But the question is, what was it about that verse that so angered Charles I that he would go to such lengths. Well, a word was missing in the verse. And it was the word not, N-O-T. Now, you would normally think that was not such a big deal. There are over 31,000 verses in the Old and the New Testament. So what if the word not is missing? Okay, mistake, but can't we live with that? Why do you have to burn it? Why do you have to put the guy out of business? Well, it may appear that way until you look at the verse where the word not was missing. It happens to be the commandment that we're looking at today. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. If you want to open your Bibles, there you can. And let's look at that commandment. It's on the screen right now. Read it together with me. It says, You must not commit adultery. Take the word not out of that verse and it reads like this. Read it with me. You must commit adultery adultery that's a pretty big change isn't it that is a big mistake and no wonder Charlie was upset that you know the Bible's were being distributed saying those kinds of things my concern is that in our society today I'm afraid there are a whole lot of people who prefer the corrupted version the version with the word missing than they do the accurate version of the Bible It says Thou shalt not or you must not commit adultery. In fact, you and I live in a society today where sexual sin has become pretty commonplace and accepted even to the point that it's somewhat glamorized. I read that 85% of the conversations and allusions to sexual intercourse on television are all outside of the boundaries of marriage. I've learned that there's a whole new uh, set of uh, cards that have been created that are especially for those who are in affairs or uh, are having secret lovers in their lives. There are a group of cards called the Secret Lover Collection. And uh, folks can take those and send them to each other. I wanted to read to you from one of those cards called the My Lover Card. On the cover it says, just when I thought I would never find my true love, you came along. Then you open the card up and on the inside it says, my soul has been searching for you since I came into this world. All my life I've had this emptiness inside like a part of me was missing and I was incomplete. And now I can't imagine my life without you even if I have to share you. Now, how do we get to this place in our culture where things that God has said so obviously are, you know, God has made clear is is wrong, like adultery. How do we get in this place now where we embrace it and accept it and don't feel like we are trespassing morally when we're involved in these kinds of relationships? Some people point their finger to the sexual revolution as the cause for all this. Uh, sexual revolution occurred in the 60s and 70s. How many of you grew up in the 60s and 70s? Let me see your hands, okay? So you know what I'm talking about. The whole sexual uh, revolution was all about uh, standing against Judeo-Christian morals in regards to sexuality. And those who led the revolution said and sung that we should not... ...in any way repress or deny our sexual urges or our sexual desires. After all, they're part of nature, and if it feels good, what? Do it, right? Pursue that, and you'll truly experience freedom. The only problem is, years later now, we look at the consequences of the sexual revolution... ...and it's not brought freedom, but it has brought bondage... It's brought things like sexually transmitted disease. It's introduced pornography at a greater level. It's destroyed marriages. It's destroyed families. It damages children and adult children to this very day. It creates perversion. It creates promiscuity. It creates abuse. It creates loneliness, misunderstanding, distrust, even suicide in some cases. But that's how Satan works. Remember in the garden? Satan speaks to Adam and Eve in the form of the serpent, uses the serpent, and he says if you take this fruit that God says you can't have, you will be free. You will be like God. And Adam and Eve believe the lie, they take the fruit, their eyes are open, and they don't experience freedom. All of a sudden they experience bondage. They find themselves now slaves to guilt, shame, and sin in their life. And that's how Satan teases out sexual sin. He says it's available indulge in it it'll feel good you'll be happy you'll be really free the problem is when we indulge in it outside of God's prescription of marriage it brings bondage it brings pain into our lives i understand sexual sin can be exciting i understand there's a thrill involved the emotions are involved the body chemistry is involved and for a while it can be exhilarating but i'm here to say to you that when the high wears off you're going to be left in bondage to pain and hurt and disrepair in your life and in your relationships. So, how, how do we stand against this as followers of Jesus Christ? How do I, as a single individual, deal with this? How do we, as married couples, deal with this? How do we, as parents, instill this into our children to stand against this? How do you, as young people, in a world where you're bombarded, where you're bombarded your senses are bombarded by, by all kinds of sensuality, how do you guys stand strong in all of this? I want you to jot down five principles this morning. First principle is very simply, be convinced that sex outside of marriage is wrong. Let's just read that together. Ready? Be convinced that sex outside of marriage is wrong. Now, it's very simple. You think, why does he need to say that? Of course it's wrong. But remember, you and I live in a culture where it's glamorized, where we try to say it and dress it up and make it look like it's okay. But it's wrong. And what I would pray for in my life, in your life, is that we'd have the same spirit and attitude that a young man named Joseph in the Bible had. Remember Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery there in Egypt. And uh, he went into the home of a man named Potiphar. One day Potiphar was gone and his wife, Hotiphar... Okay, well, whatever. Anyway, his wife, Mrs. Potiphar, looked at Joseph and she just decided that she would like to have a little rendezvous with him, that she would like to seduce him, and she'd like to have sex with him. In fact, here's what it says in Genesis 39. Listen, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused, which I think is amazing. He's a slave He's, you know, 18, 19 years old. Hormones are flowing. And he has the ability to say, no. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Finish this with me. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. What is it Joseph noticed? Joseph noticed that sexual sin outside of marriage is wicked and when you commit it, it's trespassing against God's moral standards. Do you feel that way today about sex outside of marriage? That it's sinful and it's wrong. Are you translating that into your young people and children's hearts and minds so that they grow up with that same that same foundation that that same conviction principle number two jot this down be committed to your spouse let's say that together be committed to your spouse all right be committed to your spouse so very important now you say, well, I'm single and not married yet. That's okay. If you're going to be married someday, make up your mind right now, you'll be committed to him or her, and make sure you find someone who feels the same way towards you. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 19, he said these words, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart, finish it with me, what God has joined together. You know, words, what God puts together. Don't split apart. Yesterday I did a wedding here in the uh, atrium area. And uh, after the wedding, uh, someone came up to me and asked me a very good question. They said, at what point in the ceremony is it too late to say no? I thought it was very interesting. So I was thinking in my mind, and I said, uh, fortunately it was not the groom or the bride. And... Uh, <laughs> I I said, I think when you finally put those rings on and seal those vows, there's no looking back. Marcia and I uh, celebrated 31 years of marriage. Unfortunately, I was in Vietnam uh, during that time, but I did send her cards and flowers, so don't worry about that uh, ahead of time. And uh, I was reflecting on 31 years of marriage. And I thought to myself, it is amazing that She has been willing to live with somebody like me for 31 years. I mean, there are some days I can't stand myself. Know what I'm talking about? Feel that? And I want you to know that every day of our marriage has not been paradise. I mean, there have been times when she and I have not liked each other. Loved each other, but not liked each other. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. Okay, put those down. How many of you who just raise your hands will say, yeah, there are times I don't like my spouse. Let me see her raise your hands. Yeah, right. Now we're in trouble if only one of you just raise your hands. All right? And uh, there'll be marriage counseling afterwards. You're like, what? What do you mean? I'm sorry I caused that issue for you on this happy weekend. But there, I mean, let's just be honest with you. Sometimes we don't like each other. We say things, do things, act in certain ways that we're just like, ah, you know, I'm so tired of you. And Marsh and I have had those moments. But listen, we stay committed to each other because of our greater commitment to God. See, our commitment to each other is born out of our commitment to God. And that's so very important. Divorce, separation has never been on the table for us. It has never entered our mind because of our commitment to God. You remember when we were talking about children, obey your parents for this is right Remember what I said? It doesn't mean uh, children obey your parents because they're right because sometimes parents are wrong. The same thing is true in marriage. Listen up. You don't stay committed to that partner because they're always right or because they're so nice or because they're so loving and and they do everything that you ask them to do and, and they are just there for you all the time. No! You stay committed to that person because God says it's the right thing to do. Now I know as I say that There are some of you in this room that are feeling some pain in your own soul. Because you got married with the expectations that it would be forever. And yet your spouse, for whatever reason, has chosen to walk out on you. Left you for another man or another woman. Or just just for whatever reason, didn't want to stay in the marriage anymore. Found everything wrong with your life. And, you know, some things were probably right. Nobody's perfect. But they said, I'm done. It's over. And I know right now you are feeling a pain that honestly I cannot relate to, but as I was thinking about this, God can. When you read the Old Testament, God oftentimes pictures himself as a husband married to his wife Israel. Read the book of Hosea especially. And God says, I have loved you. I have betrothed myself to you. I've entered into a covenant of marriage with you. I've made all kinds of promises to you. And all you had to do is be faithful to me. But look what you've done. You've committed adultery. Not once, but so many times with the gods of the land, the false gods. And God feels that tear, and God feels that pain very real to him. And I want you to know he feels your pain as well today. And I want you to know that he loves you. And even though you have felt that pain in your soul, I want you to know that God cares about you. You are not second rate. God can restore and renew your soul. Principle number three. Be careful in guarding your mind. That's where sexual sin always starts. It's in the mind. It's in the mind. Say it with me. Be careful in guarding your mind. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 says, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now two things. First of all, Jesus is not saying that if you notice a pretty girl walking down the sidewalk or a handsome guy walking down the the hallway and you look at them and notice them that you are now guilty of sin if that were the case we would all need to poke our eyes out right when you see someone you know attractive to you automatically your eyes go huh all right here's the problem Jesus is saying when you look and you linger that's when you're in trouble in fact, let's just say those two words together. Look and linger. Ready? Look and linger. Lingering is what gets you into trouble. It's one thing to be walking down the street or the hallway or wherever it is and go, she's attractive. Or, "Huh, he's handsome. It's another thing to go, she's very attractive. That's lingering. Wow. He is really cute. That's lingering. All right, that's lingering. You are now in danger zone. And I want to share with you four steps, four declining steps that can lead you into big trouble. And I want to share these steps with you, and I want to use the background story of David and who? Bathsheba. You don't even need to go to church to know that story, right? Everybody knows that story. David, the king of Israel, who commits adultery with a a, uh, woman named Bathsheba. And here are the steps that happen in your life when you go down the wrong road. Number one, it starts with a distraction. Say that with me. It begins with a distraction. Remember, David walked out on his veranda, and he was looking out, and there was a woman bathing naked of course bathing naked who bathes with her clothes on right right so she's bathing naked and I'm just gonna be very honest with you I mean what man standing outside on his porch seeing a woman bathing naked would not take notice right unless he was blind so it's one thing to look out there and see it what should David have done David should have gone whoa walked back in closed the door washed his eyes out said, "Woo, man, it's dangerous, called, you know, his servant over and said, I need you to close in the veranda, I I can't, I, I got issues there. Or I need you to go find out who the woman is, I don't want to know who she is, and tell her she does it again, she's going to be fine. Either that or move her, but whoa, I don't want that again. And we'd all go, hey, David. And I'd be saying, now there's an example of a man who knows how to control his eyes and his thoughts. But what does David do? Number two, number two. It says, uh, the distraction turns into an attraction. Say it with me. The distraction turns into an attraction. So David goes out on his veranda, and he doesn't go, whoa. He goes, wow. Woo. And he just kind of must have stood there for a while and watched the whole thing. And while he's watching, he's not praying for her. And while he's watching, he's not, you know, worried about her husband who's fighting a battle on her, you know, on behalf of Israel. One of David's, you know, guys out in the field. He's just sitting there and he starts, I imagine, to fantasize. And fantasizing. he begins to think about her and he starts to get kind of excited about what he's seeing. And that takes us to the third step. And the third step is it then leads to interaction. Let's say that together it then leads to interaction he decides he needs to meet Bathsheba so he has someone go and get her and it's not because he wants to pray with her and it's not because he wants to find out how life is without her husband no he has more on his mind now he may have lied to himself and convinced himself this was a very innocent meeting he just wanted to get to know her find out what's going on in her life needs to check up on the kingdom but David's got something going in the back of his mind and that takes the final step step four and that is it ends in a transaction let's say it together it ends in a transaction go to bed with me she gets pregnant And you can read the rest of the story in the Old Testament it's bad bad news and that's how it happens in our lives we're on the internet right and there's a pop-up thing or we go to the wrong site and there's a picture there and we go whoa, shut the thing off, power it down, I got to get some filter software, I don't know what happened, ah! help me, Marsha, I want you to know, you know, or whatever your spouse's name, or your, you know, your kid's dad, please, you don't believe what happened, and all, you know, I need protection, all right, I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it, all right, what do we do, He go, oh, wow, you know, I better investigate where that's coming from, <laughs> click, click oh that's where it's coming from huh well I think I better go a little deeper in this whole thing and then you down you know you're down the road right or you meet somebody and And maybe you're, you know, sometimes in our marriages, we're going through a tough place. We're feeling vulnerable, feeling lonely, we're feeling empty. Or you're single. You're feeling vulnerable, feeling lonely, feeling empty. And you meet somebody, and you're attracted to them, and you start to get to know them. And you're in deep weeds if you're married, and this starts to happen. Because, you know, you start to interact with them. and priest, you're spending, you know, intimate time together. And the next thing you know, bad news. It always follows that pattern. It always follows that pattern. And what we have to do is protect ourselves, and listen carefully, we have to protect our children and our grandchildren. See, there are two ways that sexual sin make make its way into our lives, through our eyes and through our ears. You've got to work hard at building filters for your eyes and your ears, and filters for your kids' eyes and their ears. Because that's the way it gets itself into us, and we live in a moral combat zone where we are barraged with with immoral bullets, with sensual imagery coming at us night and day, enticing and exciting us, especially our young people. Moms and dads, do you know what your kids watch? Do you know what internet sites they visit? Do you have access to their Facebook page? Do you know the video games that they play? Do you know the music they're listening to? I'm just amazed that parents who take a hands-off attitude toward it you know, if I don't see it, it won't bother me. And they, they don't know that stuff. They don't want to get into that stuff. And I'm telling you what, it's shaping the minds of your sons and how they're going to view women. And it's shaping the minds of your girls and how they're going to view themselves. And in this world, it's just objects. That's what it's all about. It's just objects. To use for my own narcissistic pleasure. You and I have got to protect our kids. We've got to interfere with their lives. And you know, they're not going to like us. That's okay. Okay. That's alright. I never expected to be my kid's best friend while they are growing up at home. I was their parent. And I don't care if what they said to me, these are the rules and these are the boundaries that I tried to set up for them. If you're a parent and you're thinking that your job is to be your kid's best friend, you already lost the game. Be good to them now, be strict with them now, later on you'll be best friends. Kids are like, well thanks a lot Dale, you just ruined my life. But you need to know those things for their sake. For their sake and your sake. Number four, be conscious of the consequences of sexual sin. Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way. Hebrews 13 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Proverbs chapter 6 puts it this way. In Proverbs 6, it says, But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. You could say the woman. For he or she destroys himself. He or she will be wounded and and, uh, disgraced. His or her shame will never be erased. The consequences of sexual sin are devastating. And a friend of mine, you know him, Jim Cece, who teaches a lot on purity... Told me about an exercise that he says everybody should go through once in a while. You need to imagine what would happen in your life if you had an affair. Think about it. And every once in a while, I'll do that. And I think about what would this do to Marsha and me? What would this do to me and, and Ben and Bethany, and my son Tim? How would this affect my grandchildren? How would this affect the staff and the elders? How would this affect you? How would this affect my neighbors, my reputation, the community? And by the time I'm done, I'm sweating bullets. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to go there. How would this affect my relationship with God? How could I ever stand up, ever stand up again and preach His Word? Scares me, scares me. And if you're sitting here right now, you're thinking to yourself, ah, it'll never happen to me. Don't, you're, you scare me. You scare me. It could happen to any of us at any time if we're not on guard. Don't play the game. The consequences are devastating. But See, what happens is we don't think about the consequences. We get We get sucked into the feeling of it, the emotion of it, the sensory part of it. The feeling good part of it. And that kind of takes us over. And we don't think about the morning after. Or the night after. The day after. And what we're going to have to own up to after that. And then we think we can hide it. And, and no one will know about it. You know, nobody will know about my porn addiction. i got a bad marriage. Or I'm a single guy. And I, you know, I don't want to act out with women. So I, that's why I'm in pornography. Right? And we think we can cover it up and hide it. And hide it and hide it. But the Bible says be sure what? Your sins will find you out. And they always do. They always, always do. Last thing, jot this down. Be, uh, surrender yourself and your marriage to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're single, surrender your life to the Lord. If you're married, surrender your marriage. Your f- parents, surrender your marriage and your children. If you're single parents, surrender your children and yourself to the Lord. Say, what's that mean? What I mean is make God the CEO of your life. Over every aspect of your life including the sex part of your life. I've just run into so many believers over the years who start out that way. God, be Lord over my whole life. And then they get distracted and they start saying, Lord, you be Lord over my financial life and over my business life and, and over this part of my life and that part of life. And they stop mentioning the sexual part. And then pretty soon they're like trying to live for Jesus, but they're also trying to live... The way they want to in their sexual relationships. And then pretty soon we start lying to ourselves because we feel guilty about it. We start justifying our porn problems. We start justifying hooking up with different men or different women, or we start justifying our adulterous relationship. Trying to hold it all together, and, and we're in serious trouble. And there are some of you here this morning, right now, who are on the edge of the cliff. You're flirting with porn. You're flirting with somebody of uh, the opposite sex that you ought not be flirting with. You're dabbling with the possibility of a homosexual uh, relationship or, or trying it all out. Man, you are standing at the very edge. And I'm telling you right now, you need to backpedal really fast. Because it will destroy your life. You cannot trust your emotions. You cannot trust your feelings. They are, they, your feelings are totally self centered they just want to be pleased they don't care how you feel the next day it's just in the moment but there's some of you who've actually fallen off the precipice truth is you're into sexual sin of whatever nature it might be whether you're single or whether you're married you're involved and you're wondering to yourself can god forgive can god forgive me can god change my life Maybe, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe God's, you know, tired of me because it's been a habit. It's been an issue in my life. Or maybe you've committed adultery. You're in an adulterous relationship, a secret little relationship right now. And you're thinking, God, you know what? There's no hope for me. I'm telling you, there is hope for you. I know that because Jesus demonstrated that hope to a woman who was caught in adultery. Remember her story? There she was in bed with the man of another woman and The leaders somehow knew about it. Maybe it had been all set up. I don't know. But they went into her room. The Pharisees raided the room and they grabbed her and took her out. Maybe all she had on was a sheet. I don't know. But they brought her to Jesus and they said, Okay, Jesus, are you going to condemn her with the rest of us? Are you going to pick up a stone and throw it at her and put her to death for this horrible sin of adultery that she's committed? Remember Jesus' response to them after he wrote something in the dirt that we don't know what it was? Memory said to them, "Those of you who are without sin, if you're sinless, go ahead and throw the first stone." And instead of hearing a stone hit bone, you hear a thud as every man drops a stone in the dirt and walks away. None of them were sinless. All that's left is this poor woman who I imagine is shaking, perhaps even sobbing, and Jesus. Who is sinless and has the right to throw the stone and condemn her. But what does he do instead? He looks at her and says, go and sin no more. He offers her forgiveness through the act of repentance. Go, walk away from here and don't do this again. And you'll know my grace and my forgiveness. And he's saying the same thing to you and to me this morning. There is no sin in our lives. God won't show us grace, and God won't forgive if we're willing to make the change. Would you bow your heads with me right now, and let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we just want to acknowledge to you that we are not perfect people. And we want to confess to you that there are some of us here right now, Lord, that are flirting at the very edge of sexual sin. And we're feeling its pull and its draw in our lives. And we're so close to taking a step that could ruin our lives, ruin our families. Lord, I pray today that we would repent for lingering and we would run back to you and do what is right. Father, there are some of us who have actually taken the step. We're involved in sexual sin right now. It may be a secret for now, but it's going to be public pretty soon. Oh God, right now, I thank you that you offer us forgiveness. And I thank you for a church with ministries that can help us be healed and restored and reconciled. So right now, Lord, in these moments, I pray that we would make up our mind to not obey our urges and our sinful desires, but to repent of our sins and become obedient to your word. You're here today. I want you to know that God loves you. If you're married, I want you to know we have a ministry called Marriage Matters. If you're not at the table. One of our pastors will be there. They're there to tell you about this ministry, which can strengthen your marriage and encourage your marriage. And if your marriage is in trouble, can give you help. If you're here today and you're single, speak to our pastors and let us. Let us show you some different ways we can encourage you and help you with the battle that you're struggling with. We have avenues and ministries available to you as well. You don't have to be alone in this. Let us know and we'll be in contact with you. But right now as we think about this, as we think about God's grace, as we think about the opportunity of forgiveness, as we think about what it truly means to be loved, I just want you to listen to this song.